it simple, really. Great stories with a good cup of tea. It's the Tea with Mike show. Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Tea with Mike. Uh, joining me today is uh, Joel Whitbread. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Awesome, so we'll jump right in and we're, we're going to start with a, a tea fact. So today's tea fact is English tea gardens were the first public gathering place where women were allowed to socialize, uh, to kind of socialize and mix with men uh, in publicly. Uh, and this was uh, without uh, the, the, the fear of um, criticism or uh, scandal. And that uh, tea fact comes from uh, teaanswers.com. So again, Joe, welcome to the show. What did you think of the tea fact, first of all? Well, that, that's interesting. And I'm, uh, I'm more fascinated by the fact that, uh, that you're starting to bring to light some of the uh, misconceptions between men and women over the many millennia or centuries. So thank you for doing that. I think that's extremely important. No worries. I, I thought I, I thought adding an extra dimension to the sh uh, to the show through a tea fact would help give it a little bit more of a, a cultural cultural element, which hence the, the title of the show. So I'm glad you enjoyed the tea fact. So do you want to tell the audience a little bit about you? Yeah, certainly. Anyone in the central Alberta area has probably seen me or worked with me. I've had the uh, incredible privilege of uh, being a part of some major organizations, some major events over the past uh, two decades, having lived in Red Deer and Lacombe for the past 20 seasons. Most people recognize me, of course, from Red Deer Rebels games. I've been the game night host in the Western Hockey League for the Red Deer Rebels for 20 seasons as of 2020. And uh, I've also done so many amazing uh, community events as a professional MC, a professional announcer, um, having raised kids in the area. I've been a coach and a mentor to youth programs for a, uh, a very long time. And then for almost a decade now, I've been uh, one of the two Joes behind Joe Social Media, which is a social media digital agency that helps businesses understand and execute online social strategies on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. Um, but more importantly, we're now working in schools with youth programs and helping parents and kids communicate about being online in a social media world. Those are a whole bunch of different hats that I wear on a daily basis. <laughs> awesome, man. So, so, so let's uh, take it back a few years to when you were in a high school. And so when you were in high school, what sparked your interest in some of these um, things that you ended up um, doing for a professional career? Yeah, what's really interesting, and anyone who watches this who knew little Joey Whitbread uh, from the 80s and the 90s, I graduated in 1993, I'm 44 years old. Anyone who, who knew me back then would say he's the same guy. Um, I was always uh, more of a faculty member than I was a student. Um, I hung out. I hung out with the teachers. I hung out with uh, my mentors um, from a very mature level. Um, certainly caused a riff among friend groups because no one likes the, the guy that's hanging out with the teachers and they'd rather hang out with the buddies. But I always uh, needed much more cerebral learning. I needed more. Um, and, and I was a passionate, uh, no different than I am now, very passionate about what I love. I was a, a, a skilled artist, I still am. I, I, you know, I was skilled in broadcast. Uh, I did the announcements in high school and middle school. Um, you didn't go through a day without hearing my voice. And once we got into some rudimentary video programs, you didn't go a day without seeing my face. 
Um, if there was a video to make for the high school football team or there was some uh, fun program that we were doing in social studies science class, I was usually at the, at the helm of the technology for it, which is a vast difference of where we are now. We were using mm -hmm. handy cams and, you know, high eight recorders and rudimentary microphones. But I really had a passion about all of that stuff. What's, what's awesome. fascinating is I'm the guy that sits before you right now at 44 years old that I was when I was 12, 13, 17, 18 years old. I've always been this guy. That's, that's actually, that's crazy cool. Is, is, is there anyone that, that influenced the passion that you had from a young age? Yeah, it's a great question. Thank you so much for asking it. Uh, I had teachers and mentors who I remember. Um, I had a, a French teacher, a math teacher. He taught both programs. I was, I was a very good student, by the way, and um, definitely committed to my to my work and and had good grades. But um, as a result of my passions, aside from the learning, I had a teacher, a French teacher, Mr. Chin, Mr. Tom Chin, who now lives in Vancouver. I still uh, keep in in touch with him uh, best I can, and um, he was a mentor to me. Also, the principals and the um, admin assistants, the people I saw in the office every day, they recognized in me. I think just like adults today recognize in youth who are passionate. Um, the need for something more. And so they they essentially laid out the uh, red carpet for me. And I think that's a huge lesson we can all take as adults. We will recognize kids along the way, not necessarily kids like me that are interested in being, you know, the superstar or the performer, but, but maybe it's a kid in auto shop that is really showing entrepreneurship and, and wanting to, to do oil changes for all the staff. When we recognize those kids, we have to empower them. We have to give them uh, that red carpet, the opportunity to, to make mistakes and to help them along the way. And, and those, those are the people that did that for me. Awesome. awesome. So, um, so, so as you were growing, growing up, aside from your kind of your video and your production stuff, did, did you get much into the dramatics and the performing arts and that sort of thing? I did. I'm actually a graduate of the SAIT CTSR program, Cinema, Television, Stage and Radio. So they're in cinema, television, stage and radio. Obviously, there's some broadcast and my background is in journalism, but there's also some stage. One of, the, one of my most favorite things, and I'm a very busy man and, and own a business and work for other business owners and uh, represent multiple brands. I don't get the opportunity I like to go back to the theater. But uh, I absolutely adore the theater. And you have to say it like that, by the way. It's very dramatic. Um, I love acting. I love performing. Um, I get to do pieces of that in my everyday job, um, even through things like this, performing for a camera and interviewing with your viewers and your listeners. It's uh, definitely something I love to do. Um, but yes, I have some training in the theater. I have some training with acting. And I, and I would love to do it more. Also, uh, and and you um, you did a little bit of it recently, right? You did some did you do some reading over Christmas for a play? Yeah, good for you, and thanks for noticing. Yeah, uh, it was part of uh, the Lacombe Performing Arts Center uh, Christmas Carol performance. So I, uh, I played a role as one of the readers, uh, and we and we read this amazing hundred-year-old play for uh, community uh, folks and senior citizens and anyone who came by uh, just before Christmas. So yeah, I, I'm back in the theater. So I'm hoping that's a New Year's resolution. I can do more of that. Awesome. We definitely uh, share a common interest in the performing arts. Um, like back when I was in school and I was in England, that was something that I always loved to do. I did a whole bunch of acting in like musicals and Sound of Music and Oliver Twist and that sort of thing. And it transitioned into like technical theater. 
um, in my hometown, back where I was growing up, uh, I performed on a Georgian theatre stage. Um, so that, the thing theatre first opened in 1698. No way. It was crazy cool. It's like this little theatre. It's still got all the chandeliers and the, the tapestry and all the woodwork and the, the wooden stage. That is incredible. Were there any superstitions in the theater? I know uh, the theater community and many of the buildings and infrastructure have superstitions in the theater community. Can you think back to anything you weren't allowed to do or that you had no, to do? No, but 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 there was there was certain spots that like if you if you tread on the floor it like creak and there was supposed to be a ghost in the building. It, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not really into that sort of thing and superstitious. But when you're in the whole environment and the atmosphere, you stop and question if it, it really could be true. Yeah, I think it definitely comes with the uh, thespian level of the theater, where we're all sort of acting, we're all playing a part, and so maybe it's psychological, and we're playing the role that maybe the place we're in is haunted. But when you're talking about the 1600s, you've got to think there's some history yes. in, in, the, in the boards, in the floor, oh, yes. in the walls. Um, yeah, and then also, uh, yeah, because before it was a theater, it, it was it was used as like a, as as like a wine cellar to store wine and all that incredible. sort of thing. That's incredible. I wish I had stories like that. I don't. I've only uh, you know performed in places that are twenty, thirty, maybe up to fifty or seventy years old. But um, that's incredible. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, so, so that's like one of the things that I'm uh, get, get, getting back into is all the performing arts because I realized that it's a really big part of me and. I, I haven't done it for a few years and it felt there's a piece that's really like missing. So excited to get back into it. Well, and congratulations with all your success on Tea with Mike, not only here with, with interviews like this uh, on a monthly or weekly basis, but, but all of your social channels, you obviously have a supporting um, audience that has been built and, and, you know, you need to be congratulated for that. That's, that's, but, but I can tell it's a passion of yours. And I, I love that. It doesn't matter how old you are, if we have passions, we all have to work for a living. We all have to, to help pay a mortgage or rent. Yeah. We have to, but I really think, um, and, and you know, one of my pieces of advice to, to youth uh, specifically, but certainly college and university students when, when I meet them is, while you're going to have to spin your tires and muddle away at dabbling in the jobs that pay your bills, don't forget about your passions. If you love art, no, you're not going to sell pieces of art that are going to help pay the bills, but don't forget that you love art. Uh, in your case, you know, you love these programs where, where it's special interest and you're, and you're, you know, exposing humans to other humans, which is also amazing because there's great networking opportunity and we can learn more from people around us. So good on you to make that. But I know it's not paying your bills, but I still think it's fascinating and wonderful that you're, you're maintaining that passion. Thank you. Yeah, and, and, and hence why I'm kind of getting back into the performing arts because something I really enjoy, like with like-minded people and stuff, and it just been it sparks me, and it's what I'm passionate about. So I'm gonna just gonna keep going. Yeah. That that's awesome. Great for you. Good for you. So so obviously you you've jumped all over the map, and you still do marketing, uh, social social media, journalism, broadcasting. If you if if in a few sentences, could you describe what's been your biggest accomplishment today? Oh gosh, I am so privileged. Uh, and it's a it's great a question. question. It, it is a big question. Um, I think uh, you know most people can probably say one or two key things. I have been, uh, you know, my biggest accomplishment 
uh, as a literal answer is probably Joe Social Media, along with my business partner, Joe Phillips. Um, we've co-created something that certainly was a niche and still is in parts of Western Canada. While there's lots of people who are managing social media platforms on behalf of businesses, we're coming at it from a very different perspective. Um, something that can't not necessarily even be explained here, but we're, we're, we're mentoring youth and we're mentoring parents in the program. We're recognizing and realizing that while the devices and the Wi-Fi is everywhere and our digital devices and some of the disgusting, gross stuff we see on mm -hmm. social media takes the spotlight and it's what we're reading about, we do have to recognize and realize that this is here. And in the early days of radio, you know, 100 years ago, or television 70 and 80 years ago, there were some of the same fundamental social problems. Television was coming into our homes. It was disrupting families. Uh, you know, Elvis Presley was shaking his hips and, and, and gyrating. And there were some major frustrations, nothing that you or I, not being from that generation, can talk about. But we have to realize that the things that we're seeing right now in social media are just those growing pains of a brand new platform. If social media was uh, an adult, or sorry, if it was a human, it would be a, a youth. It would be 14, 15, maybe 17 years old. So we can all go back in our own human existence and go, well, what did we really know at that age? Yes. Um, so, so social media is still evolving. It's still growing. It absolutely has some distasteful and, and you know, you know, just gross things about it. But what Joe and I have created and are trying to promote is the fact that social media is an incredible platform, a place where the data gathered off your phone, your device, even your car or your microwave oven can be used for good. And we're trying to, to heavily promote that, not only for businesses, but for parents and for kids. Cool. And, and then I obviously, because I pay attention to social media, you guys are moving office. And then I, I think I saw somewhere that you you're going to be creating like a, a kids learning environment. Can you speak yeah, to that? it's called yeah, it's called the Joe uh, Youth Creative JYC. Uh, so Joe Youth Creative essentially, once it launches in the spring, is going to be a place where kids are safe, where they have access online. Hopefully, they don't even have to pay for it because kids don't have a budget. But where parents or adults can send their kids to learn more about YouTube. They can send their kids to learn about TikTok, not do TikTok. A grade eight student knows all about TikTok or YouTube or Twitch, but we want to help kids realize, just like when we talked earlier in this program about how I was mentored by adults, we want to help kids with mentorship. So if they want a YouTube channel or they want to be a YouTube uh, or an Instagram influencer maybe, or they want to make content just like you're making right now that other people will watch, they'll have some basis of learning in behind how the so, data works, how the platforms work, how to grow and maintain an audience, and maybe, Mike, maybe even make some money using those platforms so they don't have to flip burgers like we had to or deliver pizzas. Maybe their first job is icing cupcakes because they love baking on an Instagram or a YouTube channel and others are watching, and when they watch, they give you views, and when they give you views, they give you money. Maybe, just maybe, maybe. a 12-year-old is starting to earn an income with the support of their parents and teachers. That's also what I really like about it, is how it's, it's not crushing anyone's dreams, but it's providing a little bit of framework and structure, so it's done in a positive manner, because the social media in the world definitely needs um, more positivity right now. 
Yeah, thank you. We actually compare it. I'll use an analogy of minor sports. Uh, you know, maybe where where you grew up, it was soccer or football. You know, in Canada where I grew up, it was hockey. But yeah. you could add you could add any different sport into my analogy. And my analogy is this: when a child goes to their parents and says, "I want to play in the NHL," or "I want to be in the Olympics," no parent anywhere says, "That's stupid. Don't even bother." right? We give kids hope through mentorship. We sign them up for minor sports. We buy them equipment. We give them ice time or field time, and we help them along the path, even though we know fully well that a very, very, very small percentage will actually make the Olympics or the NHL in this case. We're doing the same thing. Uh, we're not doing the same thing when it comes to their digital interests and their passions. When a child comes to you and says, I want to be a Twitch video game streamer, or I'd, like, or I'd like a YouTube channel where I open presents on Christmas morning and people watch me do it. All adults everywhere roll their eyes and they go, that's stupid. You know, get back to your homework or go play hockey outside, which is ironic. But yes. what we're trying to do is give parents a sense that your kids are never going to be necessarily a YouTube star or a Twitch entertainer or a content provider on TikTok. That's all they know and see right now. And so we just want to give them mentorship in the passions, no different than hockey or football. We want to give them mentorship, show them the ropes, and then maybe, just maybe, one or two will break out and make it to the NHL. Uh, awesome. Awesome, man. So obviously, as we've discussed in a tiny little bit of uh, detail, you've obviously had lots of success in a lot of different avenues. But, well, we all know those, the grass is green. Um what have been some of the biggest like challenges that you've faced through your career? Great questions. Thank you for asking. You know, I, I, I deal, if I'm to be honest with you and your audience, I deal a lot with the, um, the fact that I opened the door to being a public person a long time ago. Um, certainly on social media, you, it looks like you learn and see everything about me. You don't. Um, you see some things, like most social media, there's there's only a few doors that get opened and others don't. But, um, you know, wherever I go, because of my long time with uh, Western Hockey League, uh, Dance Magic, uh, some of the amazing studios and things that I've done announcing for, Red Deer Minor Baseball, Hockey, um, you know, I'm a well-known individual. And while that seems, as you say, like the grass is always greener and something every kid dreams of, fame and fortune, it, it's been very difficult. You know, my kid's last name follows them around now. Um, and it's wonderful. And I've been given, like I said, so much privilege as a result. But I think one of the fundamental problems that I have um, on a daily basis is the fact that I have simply become a local celebrity, which I accept. And I say without ego or conceit, uh, people do know who I am. Um, and that that just allows me a little bit more of a guarded personal uh, friendship. So the people that do get to know me, I'm not I'm not always sure that I let them fully in as a result of that privacy. Understood, because like, because you, every, everyone knows you're very present on, online and stuff. It's, it's kind of kind of understandable. Yeah, and yeah, so that that part has been has been a little bit difficult for me, and it hampers hampers decisions along the way. Um, relationships certainly are strained as a result of which Joe do you get to know. Is this the Joe that's always on and performing, or is this the Joe that's uh, you know really someone that, that needs a shoulder to cry on, or is the shoulder that I can cry on? 
So I've asked you this kind of um, a little bit when we've been talking in messages, um, but maybe I was wondering if you could expand on. So you're so busy, it's it's very crazy, it's a lot of fun. But but what do you do to uh, spend some uh, few moments and a little bit of time for you? Yeah, uh, yeah, also a great question and one that I have to be perplexing uh, about because uh, a lot of the stuff that I get to do on a daily basis, sometimes even get paid for, is the stuff I love. And that's both a blessing and a curse because um, when you're invited to hang out all weekend in a hockey arena and announce so that the kids feel like they're superstars, what you don't necessarily realize if you're in that rink is, I love doing that. I, like, it's incredible. I, I've been... I've been I've been invited to do some of the most prestigious and even some of the smallest things you'd never see on a grandiose or a small scale. Um, and I love doing it. The downside is when I'm doing my hobbies, most people do their hobbies to take away from work. Um, mm. what, what I have to do, unfortunately, is I'm working doing my hobbies. So while it's great that I'm doing the things I love, I'm always doing things for work because my hobbies are work so again you know don't cry for me Argentina I get it. <laughs> I these, this is a luxury and that's why I continue to say I'm privileged but I do have a problem with identifying what's a hobby and what's work because a lot of my work is hobbies understood uh, how so in the grand scheme of like a year how much time would you say you you take where you switch off digital and and, and you go to some remote place and switch off yeah, great question. Um, you know, if there's 365 or 366 days in a year, like there is this year, um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm visible. Uh, you know, probably at least 300 of those. Uh, you know, even when I'm on hobby, like I love to golf. I golf all the time, but I've made uh, you know brand representation uh, um, and and relationships with golf courses now. So when I'm there, I might be playing with a friend and film it just like we're doing right now so that you can watch that golf course on your Twitter feed. Um, so again, the hobby turns into work. work. It's not work, it's no. not the traditional work, it's fun, I'm having a great time, but now I gotta go put the video together, gotta tag the right people, I have to geotag it, and then I have to put it online. Again, anyone watching this thinking this is a great way to do things, please don't, don't do <laughs> what I'm doing. This is not advice. Um, I've created a monster here and it's a wonderful monster, but. Um, to answer your question, not enough. The answer is not enough. Um, I'm online and exposed publicly all the time, and I need to be uh, I need to be offline more. Awesome. And then, so obviously, we're in 2020 now. What what are some of the things you've kind of got on your radar that you can like share right now as we move through the next decade? Yeah, fantastic. There's, um, you know, I, I've entered at 44 years old. My kids are now all adults. Um, I've got some stepkids that are teenagers, but my my children have now turned to adults. So, you know, the next decade for me is certainly understanding what it means to be a parent of 20-somethings as opposed to a parent of teenagers or preteens. Um, so that's on my radar. This new youth uh, program, uh, youth programming on social media is going to be massive from a place of business for us. Um, the World Junior Hockey Championships uh, Group B is coming to Red Deer, which I'll get the opportunity to be a part of. That's really exciting for me, uh, much like the Memorial Cup in 2016. It's a great chance to do an international event, which I've been privileged to do before. Um, and then always looking, Mike, I'm always, I, I don't even do it on purpose, but I'm always identifying 
uh, and I believe three to four to five years in advance of the next, um, you know, what's on my radar. I think electric is on my radar, um, gasoline, oil and gas with no disrespect to anyone in the industry. But I believe that is is definitely obviously doing a downturn. So what does electric mean in our transportation, in our way of life, in our living? Um, I'm looking already at what that means. I'm not in the industry not going to work in any of those sectors necessarily, but what does life look like in this new era? We have massive, big, huge brick buildings um, with major brand names that are global, that are closing, they're leaving yeah. communities. So what's going to happen to that infrastructure? And, and I'm, I don't have answers in this interview. What I'm saying is, what's on my radar? My radar is what does society look like? What does society do? And, and how is society going to evolve? Because they're going to, we are all going to be forced yeah, to change. Yeah. yeah, so that's what's on my radar. Awesome, uh, 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 a question that's kind of been in the back of my head, like I guess more of a thought is, uh, is what's gonna happen to all these traditional uh, mall outlets? Because the shops are closing all the time, people are doing e-commerce because it's in shopping online because it's, and it's fast and it's easy. Yeah, certainly. We're seeing it in small towns already. You drive to any small mm -hmm. community, a township uh, or a borough, and you're going to realize that their their malls are closed. Um, and th that only leads us to believe, you know, that's going to come to the to the medium sized centers and then, of course, the big cities. Um, so you're right. Where is that going? I mean, obviously, that's a conversation about, you know, Amazon and buying online. But how does that affect our local economy? How does that affect jobs. It's easy to say we're going to buy socks at a local store, but if they're $16 more than the socks we can buy on Amazon okay. and we get twice as many, you know, society is going to go to the online shopping. That's what's happening. So it's not about it's not about who's right or who's wrong. It's about how are we going to evolve and still maintain this economic uh, uh, necessity that that allows us all to pay that rent or make a mortgage payment. Uh, I, I don't know if you you are aware, but I believe Amazon, Amazon's uh, building a big like center there, Edmonton. Yeah, no, they are. Um, and there's a whole bunch of political uh, tension behind that because such a large center that brings in such large money, but it's getting low taxation or no taxation and all of these other things that don't quote me on. But there's some frustrated local people <laughs> who aren't getting the same resources, ironically, just like the industry itself. Uh, they're not coming to shop there and the large companies don't have to pay the same taxation, which isn't fair. Totally understand that. Uh, so we have to figure this out from an economic, political, and sociological uh, perspective. Yes, for sure. Definitely lots of pros and cons on the one hand, uh, like you said, and then on the other hand, it potentially creates a lot of local employment, but is that local employment that's supported versus having four, five, 10, 20 smaller shops that employ a few less people, but it's more localized. It's kind of a very interesting debate. Yeah, and I, I challenge everyone who's watching this right now, all of your viewers, no matter which side of the fence you're on and no matter what your debate is, I challenge you to consider everything you buy, whether it's in the grocery store, a cup of coffee, something large like a vehicle or maybe a house purchase. I challenge you to understand where your money goes. I don't mean in one place. Your money rarely, if ever, goes in one place. When we purchase something like a cup of tea, you know, it's it's going a little bit to the people who made the tea, a little bit to the product, a little bit to the packaging, a little bit to the okay. shipping. Uh, so I challenge you, just just open your minds in 2020 to the fact that the dollar 
that you spend gets split and how many times does it get split and how much of that is necessarily staying what we call local, maybe none, maybe some. Awesome. And as we uh, move towards the uh, end of the episode, well, a couple of little things. First, because I, I forgot, I'm a little bit rusty still. Um, what type of tea are you drinking? I am having um, Taylor's Yorkshire. Man. Uh, it's an orange pico. You, you, first off, you have taste because I, I, I also drink Yorkshire tea. That's my, like, my go-to in England. And I've also been to Harrogate where it's made. I used to do a lot of shopping there. So, so that's like out of this world. That's awesome. I drink the Orange Pico. It's my favorite, uh, no matter which brand, uh, but I do enjoy this, but I am drinking Orange Pico and I have 80 different bags that came in my stocking this Christmas. So I'll be drinking tea for a couple months at least. Awesome. Do, 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 you, like lots of, do you like to mix up the types of tea you drink? Not really. No, I stay pretty, pretty strongly with Orange Pico almost every single time. The only thing I'll change is uh, adding some honey every now and then. And that's usually if my throat or my voice is... Uh, is hurting. A, a tea fact for you at the MasterCard Memorial Cup in 2016, by Wednesday, it's a one week event, by Wednesday I had almost lost my voice completely and it was tea and honey that got me through and allowed me to entertain the masses right up until the final on the next Sunday. Awesome, because the Memorial Cup was a great event. Indeed, it was an incredible event, uh, but it was it was tenuous. It was it was very yes. very difficult to to you know all of us that were using our voices and entertaining. It was a daily event, multiple hours. So tea got me through that. Awesome, man. That's excellent. And then as we kind of bring this fantastic interview to a close, do you have any closing thoughts, a question for me, something, a piece of wisdom that you wanted to share with everybody, whatever you want. Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I think it's really important that we stay uh, on a positive. It's, it was, I like to use the bad driver analogy. Every, if you put 100 people in a room and said, who's the bad driver? Nobody would put up their hands, right? Nobody's a bad driver, yet we all go out on the highways and the roadways and we go, oh my gosh, there's so many bad drivers. And you know, what do I mean by that analogy? I really think we need to look inside ourselves, me and you included, nobody is perfect. And we have to realize, uh, when we're not being positive online. Uh, I highly engage everyone watching this and listening to this right now to recognize in themselves things that disrupt positivity on a daily basis, whether it's your Instagram, your Twitter, you're on Facebook, you say something that maybe has a tinge of negative towards someone else specifically, we got to cut it out. The only way that we're going to help our youth and help our kids realize the power of these channels is to start cutting out the adult decisiveness. Certainly we see it in politics, but we're seeing it, um, you know, go into a, a feed about someone buying or selling a piece of furniture and, and we just can't see it. Um, and so you are maybe a bad driver. I might be a bad driver every now and then. Let's just admit we're bad drivers and start fixing the way we drive using social media. That's my advice. Let's make the world a better place and sing Kumbaya, but let's use social <laughs> media as a positive place, not a negative place. Awesome, man. So th thanks for being on the show and thanks for spending a little bit of time uh, talking to me today. Cheers. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Cheers. It's the Tea with Mike show.